Welcome to Key Characters. Today, I'm speaking with David Johansson, a man of many skills and backgrounds, but most relevantly for us, the founder behind a game called Blocklords. If you can't guess from the name, Blocklords is a blockchain game, which in the current environment is a difficult row to hoe, so much so that many games are hiding it all. All that tech is being consigned to the back room and NFTs and tokens are being removed from marketing materials. Well, David is having none of that. He is sticking to his blockchain, and as you'll hear, he's been through a few cycles already. We also covered what makes game development so tough and how making games in public has its advantages. Hey, this is David Johansson. I'm the CEO and co-founder of MetaKing Studios, the studio behind Blocklords. Great. Thanks so much for joining me. If you can cast your mind back, I have found one of your old videos and that was Block Lords 1.0. In that video, you say, uh, we all know blockchain is the future. And uh, that sort of assumption of uh, a shared future in the blockchain isn't something that a lot of people agree with right now. Do you still think it's the case? Yes, I do. My mind became set in 2017. Essentially, once it clicked for me, like how immutable it is, how there's always going to be liquidity for Bitcoin and how it's it's irrefutable, right? The value is there. And yes, the value can fluctuate, but as long as there's liquidity, as long as there's a network effect, as long as there's users transacting in Bitcoin, it's never going to go away. And once that clicked for me, that is really when I changed my career path. Yes, there's a bit of a reputation problem, right? And some people feel burned and a lot of bad things have happened in the space. But the idea that blockchain technology, even as it is today, can add things to game or to any digital product, really, it, to me, is irrefutable. It doesn't matter how deep into the bear we go. The interesting thing in the gaming space is just the intensity of the negativity uh, that yeah. a large sector of traditional gaming has. And I've spoken to many people developing games who have had to soft pedal and move back from yeah. using certain language. Have you experienced that pressure and what are you doing about it? So we've definitely experienced that pressure. I think we've all felt it. We've all seen it in the media. We've seen what happened with Creator League. Something very important to keep in mind that people tend to forget, especially when it becomes all negative like it is now, is that the vocal minority that dominates the conversation usually, right? And so actually we've seen it in free-to-play games, right? Like how many people hate loot boxes? How many people hate pay-to-win mechanics? How many people hate this or that or mobile gaming or any anything? You know, gamers as a group tend to be very vocal and aren't afraid to, to share their dis displeasure when, you know, their discontent when things go wrong. Uh, but you look at revenue and it's a different story, right? You look at how, <clears throat> which games are earning the most, it's the free-to-play games. You look at, okay, well, loot boxes, everybody hates it, apparently. Well, FIFA is printing money, essentially, with their loot boxes. And it's all, there's no rights to the users. It's If you talk about users being taken advantage of, yeah, when you buy a FIFA loot box, you have nothing. Do you think there are a lot of issues, especially for the long term, with some of the free-to-play elements of Web2 game industry? But I think that gets forgotten in this market. Right? Yes, there are going to be people who are extremely unhappy, who hate it, who have seen bad things happen, and who will let that cloud their judgment forever. At the end of the day, 90 plus percent probably of the users just don't care. Like they want that good experience. They want that good game. They want to buy that product that makes them feel good or that makes them happy or that has utility to them. 
And we're just going to have to get through it. We're going to have to wade through the hate for a while. And do you regard yourself as uh, constitutionally uh, ready to sit through that uh, tough period? Yeah, we've built our entire identity, our entire company, and our entire project around this Web3 element. First off, I don't think you can hide it. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of projects are doing right now is that they're just removing any mention of, of crypto. They're removing any mention of NFTs. They're trying to hide it. And I think it's right to a certain extent, like you need to hide the bad user experience, right? You need to hide the, the technical clunkiness of it and you need to re remove the scary elements, right? You do need to remove the scammers. I think a lot of Web3 problem is, okay, you get a, user's in, a user into your game. Their only point of contact is a Telegram group. They write on Telegram and then boom, they've got 50 scammers trying to scam them, pretending to be customer service, helping them with their issues, right? So. These are the types of things that I think are very important to, to fix or fight through. But then most of all is how do we create a game that actually people want to stay a long time and want to play for many hours without the promise of just guaranteed profit. What's your solution to, to wallet sign on, David? So we've developed a block horse portal, which is essentially, you could say a hub, uh, using the game as a hub for your assets, right? So. The idea is a new player, a free user, he's going to be able to go on to the Epic Game Store, uh, hopefully later Steam when the game changes his mind, and he's going to be able to download the game for free, get started, get playing, register with a Blockboard account or with their Epic Game Store account. Uh, and then they're actually going to get their first free hero. And this free hero you can play with, you can upgrade it, you can do all the things in the game ecosystem, the same that you could with an NFT hero that are already out on the market. Now, this, the idea is for the new Web2 user, they don't really have to struggle with it. They don't really have to be worried about it. They've got their hero. They can play. There's no $500 NFT fee to get into to the game. But then the idea is once they've been playing for a while, once they actually do like the game, hey, you know this hero that you have that's been doing this and this and this, and this? actually it is an NFT. It can be minted on Polygon. It can be minted on IMX. It can be minted on whatever chain we support. Yeah. And tell me about the economy. Obviously, it's free to play. So being free to play, and there's also, I assume, there's a potential for people to earn money later on in the game. Is that correct? So earn money, I'd say, yes, there are going to be ways to do it. Uh, I, I don't want to focus on that too much because essentially it's more like a byproduct of playing the game well or understanding the game's economy really well than it is like the goal for a user. You start the game with a free-to-play farmer, right? You, you will get your free farmer. You're amassing resources. Now, our resource economy is, I'd say, one of the more complex of any games. But as you start, you're collecting wood in the forest. You're collecting rocks in the mines. You're, uh, you're picking food in the forest. You can start uh, growing wheat. You can take that wheat and you can refine it into, uh, into, uh, into grain. You can take the grain and make bread. You can uh, buy cows, you know, feed them the grain and get milk. You can make bread in the bakery. You're producing and you're creating all of these different types of resources with your farm. And as you get more resources, you can build more buildings, you can unlock new areas, you can expand your farm, right? As a farmer, you started, great. Now, what's important to know is the region, um, the region map of Blockboard is divided into 50 different regions. And each region is going to have a lord or a lady. And this lord or lady, if you're a new peasant, right? If you're a farmer, they're actually going to collect taxes on every resource that you produce, right? And so they're sitting at the top and they're earning taxes 
but these are all re- in-game resources, right? Yeah, but they're yeah. still earning a cut of everything that you as a farmer are producing. So that means that the lords and ladies, they're pretty incentivized to get as many farmers into their region as possible. So how do they do that? Well, they invest their city coffers where the taxes accumulate into building city buildings that take a very long time to build. As in the medieval ages, you wanted to build a church, you were looking at a hundred years of hard work for the entire community. And that's how we're thinking about it. So the entire region, all the farmers and the ruler come together, build these buildings. These buildings will unlock features for that region only. And these region, these features such as like cinematic adventures or uh, better discounts and trades in the markets, because actually every resource can be traded in the local market, uh, which has prices that update every hour on a dynamics uh, in a dynamic way, right? So if a lot of people are buying stone, the price of stone is going to increase. If a lot of people are selling wood, the price of wood is going to decrease. And because your region is only going to have maybe not the best prices or maybe not the best lord that's upgrading as much as possible, we're going to have cross-region trading where people can actually go and hunt for battle deals on wood or on stone or whatever resource, but it's going to cost them time. It's going to cost them resources. And that's when we start adding battle features, right? Battle features aren't going to go live in the open beta, which should be live uh, this week or next week. But once we start adding battles, people will be essentially be able to raid people who are traveling from city to city. And of course, you're going to be able to attack other people's farms. And then at the later end of the stage, we're going to have, you know, these massive wars between different regions that are going to hopefully burn a lot of resources and, and, and be a lot of fun as well. Just like real life. Exactly. It's a complicated and ambitious picture that you paint there. Now, I'm really interested in what you've been through in raising money and other developers have told me that is a very difficult part of making a game. Have you found that so, Dave? It's definitely difficult. I think the games industry in general, it's quite hard to get funding, although it's certainly improved in the last 10 years. But so with that as a caveat, VC funding for uh, crypto is very cyclical, like the crypto market is. So what we experienced is when we started in 2018, it was nearly impossible to, to get funding. But what we could get is, is grants from different chains, right? So we've always been very very eager to work with new chains, new protocols and learn. Not only is that like a good way to learn about the industry and to see what everyone's building by actually building something on their protocols, but also it's a great way to grow, uh, grow our ambitions and grow our understanding of the blockchain space. Early days, we were really funded by different grants from different blockchain projects. And I think that's a great way to get started for anybody who's like interested in Web3 is really start building build products, build smart contracts, build communities, just build anything at a small scale and try to get grants from different players who are already established. Because if there's demand for anything in the space, it is demand for good products because all chains are struggling with that, right? What's interesting is all of that changed in 2020 when the market started coming back. At that point, you were essentially fending off investors because so many people wanted to invest. And now we're back a year and a half later and it's just so different. And really right now, the sentiment that I'm hearing from everyone, projects, VCs, everyone we talk to is, no, Web3 gaming is dead, Web3 is not going to work out. But a, few, a lot of people don't say it, they show it because there's very few investments happening right now in the space. And I think the fact is that the projects that received funding 2021 and 2022, they need to deliver, they need to launch, they need to get users, they need to show that there's a long-term sustainability there that isn't just dependent on new investors coming in and buying 
old investors things. What other people have told me, and I've observed myself, is that there is a bit of a tension between what uh, crypto investors expect in terms of turnaround time for a profit or a return uh, and game development cycles. It is patently obvious that some people went into this developing a game in a pretty ignorant state and they thought that they could uh, deliver a game in one year, say, for example. Were you in that boat? So we, we've been in the game space for over 10 years now, meet me and the co-founders. So I'd say we were more, we've always been a bit more realistic than a lot of other teams, but that comes from having made many games that, that did have a lot of users. So when I started in 2018, uh, we knew that just doing infrastructure first wouldn't work. And that's a mistake that a lot of teams are doing now is, oh yeah, people want infrastructure, so let's do infrastructure. But then if you do infrastructure and nobody wants to use your infrastructure, if there's no content, if there's no way to actually get users, that infrastructure is going to dry up pretty soon. And I think that's a problem that a lot of chains are facing. Uh, so that's why in the beginning we were content first. Let's make blockboard. Let's make a game. Let's build out the content. Now, what we realized then is that the infrastructure is not there, but that didn't matter. We had to develop a base to that could then drive infrastructure essentially. And then to answer your question, okay, how long? Does building a great game take? What's one of the best grossing games right now? What's well, Fortnite? How long did it take Fortnite to actually become a successful game? It took seven years of development. That's the amount of time it took. Games take a really long time. And Web3 infrastructure, while it doesn't take as much time, it's 10 years behind in development. So this is an unfinished game that you're putting out there. What are the disadvantages of that, of getting dressed in public? When we did our closed beta in the early summer, we were very nervous, right? Because that was the first time the users were going to play it. This was for holders of hero NFTs only. So it was a very hardcore crowd uh, and savvy crowd, you could say, and very interested crowd. And we launched the game and just the feedback was so positive that it blew us away. And obviously that's nice to hear. Uh, and it doesn't always go like that, but for this specific closed beta that we did, we ended up getting 5,000 users. And what was cool is we were able to see the data and we built a pipeline where we could see how much time they spent in the game, which resources they were working for, uh, how they were using the game, how they were using their features. And it just gave us so many insights. It motivated the team. It gave us a bunch of ideas for new content. The community just started giving us a lot of ideas. So that really sealed the deal of, okay, yeah, let's not take another year to just polish in a silo. Let's really, let's close down the beta. Let's work on the few things that we really have to work on. And then let's uh, launch the open beta. Let's make it public. Let's actually make it free to play. So you don't need an NFT to, to get into the game. And then the idea is if we do that and the community already knows the expectation that yes, there are going to be some bugs. Yes, there are going to be changes. The economy is constantly going to be refined. We can actually build something that is going to be sustainable and that is going to be for the next 10 years because the community is with us. How big's your team, by the way? So we are about 50 people right now. 50, yeah. So that's a pretty big team. That costs a lot of money to keep that ship running. So how are you going to balance the books in, over the years and how long is your runway? So the runway is a private thing, so I can't comment on that. Uh, that said... I will say the game is launching, essentially. It, it is launching now. It'll be live at the open beta as we speak. What is your main revenue stream? As a game developer, really, the main thing to keep in mind is that you want to build systems. There are the types of players who want to win, 
There are the types of players who want to rule, and there are the types of players who just want to show, show off, right? And what we're building with Blockboards, with our asymmetrical economy, is essentially ways for users to do all of the above, right? If you're a farmer, if you really like farming type games, you're going to be focusing on your farm and producing as many resources as possible, right? And if you're a ruler, you're going to want to be the top ruler. So now competition kicks in a bit more. And now you want to be better than the other rulers because in the marketplace of the game, the more users you have in your region, the more powerful you're going to become. And then on the third level, you have these heroes and our heroes are all beautifully created 3D model. It's all about how do we drive as much demand as possible for resources, for regions, and for heroes. And then our job as game designers become, okay, now we've made them really desirable. We've made certain parts of the game really desirable. Our user is going to be willing to pay for it. Okay. And the answer should be yes, right? So what does success look like for you there, David? You've got 5,000 people. You said, did you close beta? So presumably we can yeah. say that you've got 5,000. What are you going for? What are you shooting for Christmas? 100,000 for Christmas and, and 1 million by next year. Wow, that's good. Is that just people who have signed up through the life of the game? Signed up through the life. Uh, reasonable. There's always a reasonable estimate and then there's the, the startup founder <laughs> estimate. Uh, I'd say 100,000 signups this year, I think is a realistic target. And if we can keep them 10,000 of them monthly active or maybe 15,000 of them, I think that's, yeah. that already puts us at the top of the Web3 web three funnel essentially. Yeah. And then if we can scale that up to a million, I think there's like the optimistic scenario is that after that hundred thousand, a million pretty quick, but the realistic scenario is a million. And if we have a hundred thousand active users by next year, we're flying. It will be wonderful if you did. I wish you good luck with that. You've got this amazing history where you studied in America, you worked in China, you now live in Stockholm. I know you studied film. So how does it all come together? Like, tell me the story of your life. Yeah, the life story. It's, uh, yeah, it's not the typical, uh, typical upbringing, uh, but uh, basically I grew up in Sweden and France. So I'm half French, half Swedish. I uh, grew up in Europe uh, a little bit back and forth, but most of my kid year in France and most of my teenage years in Sweden. Always liked America. My parents actually met in America. So I think that was in my DNA to just have a thing for the US. And uh, I was really into American football. I'm a bigger guy, so football, American football was better for me than soccer. And so I played a lot of that. And that brought me to the U.S. when I was 17. I did an exchange student year and actually lived in a Native American reservation in, in, in Maine, which was a really cool experience as well. I uh, got back to Sweden. By then, I wanted to work with film. I'd always been into creatives, but never really embraced it until my college years. Spent my college years in California, learned a lot about film, really got into the creative process, worked in Hollywood a couple of years for a few different film producers, uh, mostly on the creative side, reading scripts, really critiquing scripts. I was also an assistant. By the way, for anybody who wants a career in gaming or entertainment, I recommend starting as an assistant because you learn everything. It really is the best entry path into, into, a, 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 into a career in creatives. Being an assistant, you, you get to experience everything. And you also get treated badly, so, so you become tougher from it. I was in the U.S., so my visa ended, and I was like, okay, I could stay in Hollywood, try to figure out just how to stay in Hollywood and kind of work my way up, but I just wasn't feeling it. And then I got an opportunity to go to China. Uh, this, is, oh, this is almost, yeah, 11 years ago, I got an opportunity to go to China, worked in film in China for a year, but then I was actually directing plays. So I got into theater pretty heavily when I was in China. 
And through theater, I got a job in uh, writing uh, scripts for games and editing content for games. Because I've been a gamer my whole life, but I, you know, back 15 years ago when I was in college, it wasn't really a viable career path yet. It was just beginning. But once I got work, work in gaming and I, I was working for a free-to-play game studio and they were just doing really crazy things on the financials, it just showed me, okay, this is how profitable and how rewarding working in games can be compared to working in film or theater. And yeah, I never looked back. What's tougher? Gaming, game development seems oh. pretty tough to me. Oh yeah. Having done most of the art forms, I'd say, because I've done quite a bit of music as well. Game development is the most challenging art by any stretch of the imagination. Like it's technically challenging. It's creatively challenging. You need great music. You need great art. You need great 3D art. People really underestimate how difficult and expensive it is to do, it is to do good 3D art and good 3D animations. And then obviously the narrative elements and the storytelling elements are very important. And then there's the art of game making, right? That's its own set of tools and its own set of immersion. And this idea that you are in control, you create the story. You're not just a passenger in the story, like you are in most other art forms. The thing I love about filmmaking are the dreams, right? And filmmaking is creating dreams for people to take a part of. And theater is creating live experiences, but also making theater is just so immersive, right? It's so crazy when you're in a room with someone and you just make a sound together, right? Uh, if you're doing an acting workshop or anything like that. And so game actually allows you to do the best of both theater and film, which is you create dreams, you create these crazy worlds that people can be a part of, and you give people control to actually create actions in those worlds. And yeah, and then you add to that millions of bugs that have to be fixed and actually wizardry that is programming, which I never had an interest in. Once I started making games, I started learning a bit of programming and yeah, that's an art as well. So it's, to me, it's the combination of all the arts in the world and it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I think I can see your cinematic background coming through in the Block Lords trailer, which is extremely cinematic. Was that fun to make? Yeah, yeah, that was a passion project for me. Uh, we saw essentially the success that some other projects were having with cinematic trailers. And and I knew as we were doing the race for Blockboards and as we were setting the tone for the game we wanted to make, I knew that if as a creative director, as the visionary of the game, if you will, I knew I needed to set the tone so that for the next few years, the game team could look at something and know, okay, this is what the game we're making is, right? And so as we were deciding, okay, we're going to do these cinematic trailers, actually there's three of them. So we've only released one so far. The other two will be released in the future. So that's an alpha for you. The idea was really, how do we create like the most beautiful graphics ever made? And I think we did achieve that. There's very few cinematic trailers that, that compared to that and set the tone for the entire franchise of Block Lords, set the tone for the game, which it did. I definitely think the game would have looked maybe 30, 40% worse if we had had those trailers just because it pushed everyone to. Again, now we got to build someone, something that, that, at that level. So the idea was to set the tone with these three trailers, follow up with the game by creating a product that's actually going to drive demand for digital goods, and then expand the IP forward with books, with games, with comic books, with all of that. And so the cinematic trailers are the first piece of that. If you're asking me, what do we want in five years? Yeah, a show on Netflix, similar to The Witcher. Is definitely something we would love to do. That's a big ambition, but a good ambition. And one from what I've seen of what you guys have done that you could achieve. It's definitely challenging. That's where it gets tricky. And I think in the Web3 space is that 
you say you're going to do something and you're promising this really grand vision, and then are you actually going to pull it off? And for many teams, the answer is no. And why is it no? Because, because making games is extremely difficult. And unless it is like your seventh game or your eighth game, you don't really know how difficult it's going to be until you get there. But the advantage we have is that we've done a lot of games that we know the challenges and still we underestimated how hard it would be. Very fascinating, David. Thanks so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Hal. That was David Johansson. My name is Hal Crawford. This is Key Characters. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.